Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of I Choose the Road podcast. The following is an interview I did with Sherry Smith and her daughter Ruby. I interviewed Sherry and Ruby as part of a webinar I was doing about NFAT's New Travellers and the Bill, which is part of a series of webinars called Weaving the Webinar, put on by Green and Women Everywhere, marking the 40th anniversary of Green and Common. I had to edit it down so much to fit into the webinar and then we didn't even have time to play at all and I just thought I can't waste it so I thought I'd put it up here on this forum so people can hear it in its entirety. It's really lovely chatting with Sherry and Ruby and I would love to chat with them again. If I had been interviewing Sherry for this podcast I think the interview would have gone slightly differently. There were some things I would have asked more about, certainly about Dale Farm and about the relationship between new travellers and those with an ethnic traveller heritage. However, there's still a lot of interesting stuff here and I hope you enjoy it. Sherry Smith was born and raised in a traditional Roman Egypti family. She is an academic, an educator, an activist, single mum to two amazing young women and co-founder of Drive to Survive. We are also joined by one of Sherry's daughters, Ruby, who is an activist herself and also a student of journalism at University in Liverpool. Welcome, Sherry and Ruby. Hi. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> so, Sherry, tell me something about your story. You originally trained as a florist. Um, yeah, so I'm a Romany gypsy. I was raised in North London on the borders of Hertfordshire. I was raised in a house. My nan went into a house when she was having my dad. They shut the site. And so it was, I grew up in um, community housing, which meant that I had my nan next door and my dad's siblings all in the same street. My primary school, I had 15, 20 cousins in there. So although we didn't grow up on a site, it was very similar. Um, and then um, I went to school. Um, I went to secondary school. Um, I didn't do very well, suffered a lot of bullying. Um, I was a bully, you know, you turn into a bully. Um, and so I left at 16 with not much qualifications, started a family um, in my early 20s. And then um, I was a florist for 15 years. I had a flower shop in Waltham Cross. I had Interflora, I had Tesco contract. Um, but, you know, I was very much a grassroots florist. Um, so like making big gypsy flowers and always having things that connected with my community in the window because uh, so I had a lot of gypsy and traveler customers um, because my trade is very respected there and then in 2013 my dad died of cancer very quickly he was given a terminal diagnosis um, and so I decided to give something back so I set up a social enterprise after my dad died to teach gypsy women floristry and I taught the first session and I was like wow <laughs> And what am I teaching them flourishing? There's so much more I can do. So from there, I just, it sort of grew. I went to Boldsmiths University when I was 36 and did a degree in community development, youth work and social science. And then um, I ended up, like we got rid of the flower shop early on 2015 and I ended up doing my degree. And now I work at Bucks University. I'm doing masters in education um in between I do a lot of charity work so yeah that's kind of how I got here so why did you choose to study community development um I always wanted to do a degree I always wondered what was on the other side of universities some people went to universities like these solicitors barristers is it for them um and so 
I went to a, I was teaching floristry and I gave a lift for a community worker uh, from an organisation in London. I gave her a lift to Wales while I was teaching floristry to the young people over there. And on the way, she talked to me about a degree she was doing at Goldsmiths in community development and how I'd be great for it. And, and it was very practically based. So I come home on the Monday, applied to the uni, um, and I already worked for a, a charity in Hertfordshire that was for gypsy travellers doing community development. So as a, so it kind of fitted. And I went and did a degree. And I wasn't academic or anything. I got in on my floristry qualifications and sort of just learned it while I was there. And now my role at Bucks is supporting more gypsy Roman traveller into different universities. So actually it's come full circle. And, you know, as you'll hear from Ruby, I've got a daughter that's in uni. I am a student. I've worked in a uni. And, and so it's, it's I'm sort of immersed in it now. You also said that you sit on a board for the Ministry for Housing. Um, yeah, as part of my role, so for the last five or six years, um, I suppose I kind of do it. Um, I love my dad and my dad was the Romani, my mummy's in. And I think that gives me the benefit of being able to walk in both ways. And... Um, as an ode to my dad I want to make sure that our culture goes forward so I've done a lot of activism and a lot of quite public stuff across the UK um, over the last five or six years so that's become a lot of who I am and what I do so as a part of that I set up a charity in Essex Gypsy and Travellers Essex um, and um, we I have a seat at the Department for Education and the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government steering groups for Gypsy Roma Travellers. So basically that means there's a, a boardroom of like 10 organisations from across the UK and I'm one of those. Um, and as a community member, which is rarity in this, this um, industry with Gypsy Roma Travellers, is the organisations are community led. So I'm one of the few community members that sits at those tables. So yeah, it's a good position to be in. It seems like you're really a woman who's just not intimidated to just go forward and like make positive changes in the world for your community. No, not at all. I'm not intimidated at all. Um, I treat people the same, and I've been asked about this a lot. I've had a, a full-blown rant with Theresa May, Jeremy Corbyn, but that's no different to me than going on a site I treat people exactly the same I don't care if they're a parliamentarian or an academic or you know that doesn't really intimidate me and that doesn't make any difference if I'm going to see an illiterate elderly person on a site it doesn't I don't care I take people at face value so I suppose that's something quite unique about me um, and that probably comes from my upbringing being a, a gypsy and having to have this attitude whenever people I mean you do you get it every day so having this attitude of not letting the world affect you and I suppose that's kind of where I am they don't intimidate me at whatever level really I mean if two weeks ago I jumped on a stage I didn't even know I was gonna have to do it but you know 10 minutes before I got asked if I could talk at an event there must have been you know 3,000 people there in Manchester at the Tory conference and mm -hmm. and I'm no more intimidated by that than I am delivering to six young travellers and teaching them floristry it's the same to me I've certainly felt really inspired when I've seen you speaking at a couple of Dive to Survive rallies about the way you can hold a room and you're just like, this is, this is the thing. I think, uh, like I said, I don't see the difference in standing on a stage or standing behind my shop counter many years ago. Um, and the thing is, what I'm saying comes from my heart. It's my heart lived experience. So, you know, this matters to me that it carries on with my children, my grandchildren. So 
I don't feel intimidated by that because I feel like we need this platform. I feel like we haven't had it up to now. So I know you are very proud of your two daughters, Ruby and Scarlett, and the strong women they've grown up to be. Um, and we're, we're lucky enough to actually have Ruby here today. So Ruby, you've chosen to, stu to study journalism. Yeah, at uh, Liverpool John Moores. I've always had an interest in um, writing and getting news uh, out to people. So I've been watching BBC News every single morning before school on the weekends since I was probably eight or nine. Um, and originally I wanted to be a doctor, um, an oncologist who deals with cancer because of the death of my granddad. Mm -hmm. um, but long story short, I didn't get the grades for that just because of COVID, just generally like. I didn't really enjoy the sciences. Um, so journalism was a plan B, but not in that I didn't enjoy writing, more in that it wasn't my first plan, but it's something that I love anyway. So it was always going to be journalism or medicine. Ruby's a, um, a very gifted writer and, re and, and has enjoyed reading and writing since she was a very small child. So, um, you know, Ruby right through school has won every single writing competition and she's worked for the Trappers Times since she was about 13 doing writing. It's a real gift she has. Um, so, you know, it's taking that and using it. I took a politics A-level um, and I think that was sort of what really interested me because we had to read per political magazines and, you know, watch the news every morning, which I've been doing anyway. Um, and I thought, you know, that's a really good job. You get to report on what's going on. You get to make a change. Yeah. So I think it's important for everybody to have a degree or to go on to higher education in some form, um, but especially to people of the gypsy and child community, because we don't really get educated. We probably finish school with, you know, 13, 14, 15. Um, and the only way we're ever going to change things and perceptions of us and, you know, laws and everything else is to get into parliament, to get into higher role-paying jobs and you're not going to do that unless you have a degree yeah for sure so let's talk a little bit about the policing bill and the drive to survive movement so you you co-founded this didn't you sherry yeah 16th of may is resistance day for roma genocide i won't go on about it a lot but in auschwitz in 1944 the only known uprising during auschwitz was that the Roma heard they were going to be liquidised and they, they fashioned crude tools and they stood up against the Nazis on the 16th of May. So actually online this year, on the 16th of May, I was fuming about the policing bill and something else. So I messaged Jake Bowers and I just said, Jake, it's ridiculous, you know, like we've got to stand up to this bill. So he said, OK, let's organise a rally, you know. And so we just decided on the 16th of May, we organised a rally, put in paperwork for the 7th of July, and the rest really has just happened completely organically. Um, you know, we don't have any real funding. We had a little seed funding for Appleby, but other than that, it's all crowdfunding. We don't have anybody paid. It's just people volunteering. Um, everything that's done is just done holistically with everybody, horizontally. So um, Ruby and my other daughter, Scarlett, and a lot of other young people have been involved. Drive to Survive is about bringing together different communities so traditionally you would have the ethnic gypsies which I am a Romani gypsy Roma which are the more recent ones for the UK from um, some of them are second generation but from Europe and then travellers um, ethnic travellers but also with Drive to Survive who are involved in showmen, boaters, new travellers, um, ramblers, van dwellers 
this is about everybody that section four of the bill affects and what we're trying to do is not just drive to survive is you know 95 percent of gypsies don't live on the road this is about the narrative it sets and this is about the survival of our culture and we've been nomadic here in this country for 500 years so we've been nomadic all over the world for over a thousand years and most of that has disappeared in Europe so you know we really want to hold on to this because you know in the UK we are unique we've seen over the last two years with Covid that we need to make more use of the UK and its green space not less and it needs to be open you know it needs to be open for civil use so um, that's what sort of fired me on is, is inspired like I said it's like I want to make sure that my community gets to go forward in that I live in a house it doesn't directly affect me but the narrative does the prejudice that will follow it does you know defining ethnicity out, out, out of existence using legislation is very like what happened in the 1930s in Germany and I guess even if a lot of um, people with ethnic double heritage are settled it's still part of your culture to travel to go to events to go to weddings to go to like family gatherings and to travel in that way well if you take Appleby Fair for example every year Appleby Fair um goes on there's absolutely no organizing no tickets no wristbands no no mm-hmm. nothing 30,000 people come there um there's usually around five six arrests so you know it doesn't compare to a festival's arrest rates very little crime there that won't be able to happen you know those people take weeks to travel up on their horses they need to be able to stay by the side of the road there's stopping places have been there for three four five hundred years this year I, I made the journey up to Aquabine and I stayed on some of those old traditional stopping places and when I spoke to local publicans and locals you know they want that to continue that's their you know that's their life as well they grew up I spoke to a publican, he was 75, and he said, I remember as a little boy, the traveller stopping here. You know, it just, it's a piece of our culture being eroded. It's not just about the civil trespass in Essex or the civil trespass in London. It's about, you know, those fairs and fates won't be able to go on. People can't risk those wagons being seized by the side of their road. And then also you have to look at, you know, if families don't choose to live by the side of the road, you know, there's a severe... um, restriction and and you know severe limitations on how many site positions there are if you do have the money to go and buy a piece of land the chances are that it will be turned down on planning because um you know that's that's the usual process as soon as you apply for gypsy traveler status people don't want that near them if you go into social um site accommodation from councils it's often a 20-year waiting list the plots are doubled up tripled up you know there's no there's nothing allowed for future generations. Nobody wants to travel by the side of the road and, and park on schools. It's, it's because there's nothing else. There's no transit sites. There's insufficient, insufficient provision. And I guess that's why changing the narrative is so important, because like you said, people, nobody wants to travel a site near them. But that is because it's historic narrative that travellers are somehow morally less valuable than people who have settled and that is what gives cause to people not being able to get their planning permission or people you know being evicted really fast when they find a good place to be or whatever it's about the narrative that's set as well I mean okay okay so this law is there to affect people who are traveling on the road okay as this law is enforced and the amount of media and inches in the tabloids that it's had and across social media what does this tell the rest of the UK? This says 
this government is so concerned about this one ethnicity that they're going to make a law that defines them out of existence. So what does that do on the playground? That affects children. They'll suffer racism. You know, my children suffered racism, as Ruby can tell you, right the way through school. What will that do? It will make employment harder. When the newspapers are full of gypsies being convicted and there's homes being seized and they're fine, you know, this is going to say, well, we don't want them here. And, and so this, this affects our everyday lives. We know we die 15 years younger. We know we have the worst outcomes at every key stage of education. We know that everything in health, everything across the board, employment is worse. So why, why would they have those stakeholder groups? And why would they tell us that they're going to invest money in a Roman integration strategy? And then on the other hand, you know, example, two weeks, uh, three weeks ago, they gave 1.4 million to education for Roman travellers. How can you have a safe education when you've got nowhere to live? you've got no home to go to when there isn't a site for you and there's no council provision and there's no you can't buy land how can you live that how can we tell our people to start improving their health when we can't get homes for them we can't get somewhere for them to stay that's safe they're not wanted and that's clearly defined yeah it all starts with just knowing that you've got somewhere to stop where you can be doesn't it nobody ever said to me do you live in a caravan before they called me a pikey nobody ever asked if we live in a caravan before they treated me differently. How about you, Ruby? I've never been asked, no. Like, the first thing I say to people when I say I'm a gypsy is, um, do you live in a caravan? And I go, no, I don't. And they go, you're not a gypsy then. This is it. You know, this is the ignorance within this country is because there is nothing about us at all. You go to school and this week children will learn about Halloween and witches and pagans and stuff like that, but they won't learn about gypsy Roman travellers. They're in every town and not understood and their life outcomes are abysmal because of that. You know, there, there's nothing taught on the curriculum about Roma genocide or the fact that we were involved in slavery hundreds of years ago, you know, being shipped to the Caribbean and everywhere else. That's not told in the history books. All the children see and all the adults see is what they see in the media. And the media follows this government, which the government says they don't want us. They want to define us out of existence. So, Ruby, you said to me that your feelings about the policing bill as a whole have slightly differ to your mum. Do you want to tell me what you what your feelings about it are? Yeah, so I totally agree. It is a wrong bill and you can't criminalise ethnicity um, just based on whether or not they travel. But my main concern with this bill is it's going to stop protesting, which to my mind is actually infringement on human rights, um, the Human Rights Act of 1998. So when I looked into this, like I said, I took a politics A-level. Um, so I'm pretty well informed on the Human Rights Act at the moment, so I actually did a whole paper on it. And when I looked into it, I found it went against four or five human rights. <clears throat> Article two is the right to protect your right to life, which basically means the government can't end your life. Hmm. To sort of read into this either way, whether it's like they're not going to kill you or they're going to end the way you live your life sort of thing. Um, it also goes against Article 5, which is the right to liberty and security. Um, so they can't infringe on your freedom. I'd say not allowing an ethnicity to travel is infringing on their freedom. Article 8 as well, respect for your private and family life. They're going to stop you living your private life. Um, they're going to interfere in it as well. They're going to take away, you know, houses. They're going to arrest people. And then also there was Article 14, which is protection from discrimination, which I think is pretty self-explanatory. Um, so Article 14 requires basically that all of the rights and freedoms sat in the entire Human Rights Act must be protected and applied without discrimination. 
obviously if they infringe on all these other rights and all these other articles then they're not fulfilling article 14. Yeah and then you also said about the the right to protest as uh, you know if that's taken from us or is that infringed to the point that it makes it ineffective and that's also detrimental to our rights and under democracy. The right to protest is very important for everyone you know like okay it sounds bad but looking past the travellers point where they're going to stop travelling you can do that and that will only affect a a minority of people in this country but if you stop the right to protest that is going to affect Extinction Rebellion you know um, like Save the Whales, Greenpeace, whatever it's going to affect a massive amount of people. It will affect all of us, really, because, you know, this affects our ability to protest laws that they may well bring forward in the future. You know, it's just not on. You know, if you you start looking... Yeah, do you know what I mean? If you start looking at this, like Ruby said, if they're going to start ripping up the Human Rights Act and saying, let's rewrite it, and, you know, like Ruby said, it infringes on so many things gently, but also the right to protest means whatever they bring in in the future we might not be able to defend. And as much as, like Ruby says, we've made very close links now with Kill Bill and, you know, um, Extinction Rebellion and all of those, because there is solidarity, because not only for Section 4, which will affect nomadism, but every part of that bill. I mean, who defines how loud you can protest? Uh, you know, my brother's um, a protester. You know, he he climbs roofs and he protests with a loudspeaker. At what stage do they say your speaker's too loud? At what stage... Is peaceful protest in UK is affecting your democracy, you know, is, is affecting your rights. And, you know, we can't have this. You can't have this off of a right government that the right government starts making legislation according to your blood. You can't. You just can't. For human rights within living memory, I've been to Auschwitz. And for anybody who's on here who's been to Auschwitz or any other death camp, we need to bear that in mind. You know, I'm not saying the UK is going to get like that, but we need to bear it in mind. Well, this is a weak form of genocide, isn't it? There are different steps to genocide, and this is a very low one. This is probably step six on the pyramid of genocide. This is when you start bringing in legislation to control ethnicities um, and and using the media as propaganda, which really is, because if nothing's embedded in curriculum or training the police or training in social work about Gypsy Roma travellers and all that goes out is what's in the media, which isn't positive usually. For example, I mean, I went to the Imperial War Museum this week to see their new galleries um, before it was opened. I um, worked with a photographer. We took a photographer up there. We pitched a story to all the magazines. They're not interested in the Roma story. That's not what they want to hear. It's not one they've heard before, you know. This is all they see is what's in the newspapers and it's negative all the time. It, it kind of underpins and allows them to get this legislation through and it's wrong. You know, it seems to me that Gypsy Roma travellers are being used to get this like Ruby says, it's a disgusting piece of legislation that will take away people's civil liberties in what should be one of the greatest countries in the world. It should be the greatest country in the world. We've always had democratic rights and this will start to strip those away. It is is terrifying on many levels and just that kind of attack of anyone who's living outside of the status quo as well, outside of the mainstream, just that kind of homogenization. One of the things I found really inspiring when I came to the July the 7th rally in London was how many alliances you have made as an organisation Drive to Survive, how many really inspiring speakers were coming up from Black Lives Matter, from 
um, Extinction Rebellion, from all kinds of different different groups and this just really strong alliance that you've made. We never knew. We believe all of it. We believed, you know, you live in this world where you think the whole world hates you. I know that sounds wrong, but as a Gypsy Roma traveller, that's what you experience. It's prejudice on an everyday basis. So you live like that. But actually when we reached out for solidarity because everybody else could see how wrong this law is, we've received it. So um, we can't, I can't tell you how much support we've received from Liberty, from um, Tudor Trust, from NGOs that are in this sector, um, friends, families and travellers, London Gypsy Travellers. Um, everybody's brought something to the table, you know, organisations from Scotland. We've had um, in Berlin, we had Roma go and protest outside the British consulate um, and in Spain to support us. When we went to Appleby, we had a black policeman from Cumbria come on the stage and sing One Love by Bob Marley. We had Maureen and Newton from Kill the Bill come to that Appleby Fair with us. You know, what a queen. Um, I just can't tell you the solidarity. And and it's it's shown us that, you know, we are stronger together. And actually, we do have solidarity in the UK and we're not hated. And that's what makes me want to fight this even more. I want my children to be able to grow up and my grandchildren to grow up and be proud of their heritage, not have to hide it. So tell me a bit about Appleby. What did you do there? You said um, to me before that you were, it was, you're trying to politicise your community by going to Appleby. Yeah, we're, um, Jake and I, we set up Drive to Survive, but there is a team of eight or 10 of us underneath that are all community members. So um, Ruby's part of that. And also there's Scottish travellers, Irish travellers, Welsh gypsies. So um, we did the event on the 7th of July in London and we decided to, create a summer of discontent off of that so we wanted because everybody's saying why didn't you do it on a weekend why didn't you do it in the north why didn't you do this <laughs> so we thought right okay we'll do a few things so we applied to moving for change for a little bit of funding and they funded us to make a film about the summer of discontent so we got um connected with some students from imperial university um and we decided to hold free events First one was the 7th of July, which was a peaceful rally. Um, and that was really successful. We had about a thousand attendees, which was amazing. That's the biggest out turn we've ever had um, on the streets of Gypsy Rome Travellers together and, and the wider communities. Then the second event was Appleby. So what we did was we crowdfunded and we applied for a little bit of funding and we got a circus marquee for the first time in 500 years. As I said earlier, Appleby's completely unstructured and organized. And we got a circus tent there and we put a stage in lights and we held Appleby's Got Talent and we held a prize for it. And we held an art competition where there was a cash prize as well. Um, and so we basically had people from all over Appleby. We had Jake and Ruby, you were out of him as well. But we had Jake on a horse and cart driving around Appleby with a loudspeaker, which probably be illegal now. That was the highlight of my weekend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So driving around on a horse and a sully wagon around Appleby when it's absolutely round and saying to everyone, come to Appleby's Got Talent tonight. So we had a lot of people come up um, and, you know, this all shared across social media on Appleby. Like I said, it's 30,000 people there. And um, in the tent, first time this ever happened. And uh, we, in between each song, we were able to get up, Jake and I, and talk about the policing bill, how we've got to stand together, how they've got to use their power to vote. We were able to politicise a community that is disengaged with politics, really. And why wouldn't they be disengaged? Because yeah. left, right and centre haven't got anything to say nice about us. So, um, you know that. And then on the second night, we held, um, which we'd crowdfunded for a little bit of seed funding, but we... Um, 
held a talent night, which was um, people that we knew from different communities that could sing. So we had new travellers. Like I said, we had the policemen come and sing One Love. We had Ando Glasser, a Roma band from Scotland. We had Irish travellers, Scottish travellers. We had soul singers, scrap metal women, dealers. It was just beautiful. And then on the Sunday morning, we held a church service and Morvina Newton from Kill the Bill helped hold a service in there as well. So just a really lovely experience, but to be able to give out those leaflets in the day we ran um, and give out the information about, you know, and make the community more aware of their power. 30,000 people is 30,000 people, even if they're going back yeah. home, that's 30,000 votes, yeah. you know. So, and was it well received? Um, it really well received. My highlight of the whole weekend was in the day, um, we had the children in and we were letting them, we had um, some volunteers that came up, Sally Barter from Bedfordshire, she'd bought some equipment without even discussing, you know, without even asking. And she she was doing workshops with the children and talking to them about what it means to be a gypsy and how you take that forward and how hate and prejudice isn't acceptable. And actually embedding it in those kids for really beautiful play and art. And then on the second day, I walked down the bottom to the market and a little girl walked past me and put her fist up and went, gypsy lives matter. And I just thought, that's it. The whole reason for coming to Appleby was there. That little girl wouldn't have known. And by being around us and hearing and listening, they all were empowered and they all wanted a T-shirt. They all wanted one of the punch T-shirts, they said. <laughs> so the Drive to Survive logo is a fist on their will, so on our will. So it, it, it mattered and it, it worked. So, Ruby, what are the feelings among your generation of Roma and Gypsy travellers um, about the bill and about Section 4? I don't think it's widely promoted enough. A lot of people my age that I've spoken to don't know about it. Um, even people outside of the community as well don't know it's going on. So, unfortunately, I don't think it's very, well, I want to say tall, but I don't think that's the right word. But um, the people who do know about it, you know, Jake's middle daughter, Maisie, um, she was at Appleby with us and she's quite well informed about it as well. And, you know, we're, we're just disgusted with it. So do you there's, think... There's no other way to put it. We're just yeah. disgusted. So do you think um, everything that happened at Appleby and at Manchester has helped to widen the understanding and the awareness among, among that generation? It's definitely promoted it and made, and put it more into the limelight. Otherwise, you know, personally, I don't go looking through every bill that's going through Parliament every single week. <laughs> the only reason I know about this one is because of Drive to Survive. So, yeah, it's definitely put it on the map more. And then we went to the Tory conference on the 2nd of October. We kind of manipulated Manchester Council into giving us a site, which was one mile from the Tories. Um, and we invited everybody to come and stay on there. So it was a beautiful collection of old buccaneer caravans with Romanese Welsh gypsies and Irish travellers and new travellers and NFATs and uh, Essex gypsy travellers. It was just beautiful, you know. Um, we had camped there for five days um, and we led the People's Assembly March on the Sunday with horses. So that was like 5,000 people behind us and Ruby was on the horse at the front and I was holding a flag, but we all led that as Drive to Survive. So that was nice. That was, you know, this is all about telling people that, you know, come stand with us, come, your vote matters, you know. That was quite a thing as well, the way that um, Drive to Survive incorporates new travellers because that is not an alley ship that has really particularly been there in the past, is it? No, and... 
as an ethnic gypsy Roma traveller, my complete thoughts and understanding, I'm going to be honest, changed over the last year, two years. I now work for a university and as a researcher, I can see that the outcomes for gypsies, uh, sorry, the outcomes for new travellers are very similar to the rest of us. And they may not have had the research done or have ethnic blood, but many of them are first, second, third generation. They're very similar health issues, education issues. And there's this prejudice about not including them, similar to showmen. And, but actually, do you know what? We're stronger together. And new travellers, you know, they have the gumption in them to come out on the street with banners and drums. And we need some of that. We need to w- kick our people out of the cities and Facebook and say to them, come on, do this. But at the same time, I think we've seen with the event in London, for example, um, there's something that gypsy new tra- gypsies and travellers can teach new travellers about as much as we don't have much respect for, for it and we will never conform. There's more than one way to skin a cat. And if you're civil with them, you can play your music and annoy them, but not be antagonistic. So actually, we're learning from each other. And I think it's a beautiful relationship. So actually, a very new decision that Drive to Survive's come up to this week. It's the first time I've publicised it, but we've invited um, the leader of NFATS to come on, uh, which is the No Fixed Bow Travellers. We've invited her, Tarina, to come on to the board, which is all ethnic members at, uh, at Drive to Survive, because we think hey. we need your input. We think we need to stand together and be stronger. So I think we can learn from each other. I agree. I mean, the thing that a lot of new travellers bring you said you know everyone came out on the streets and I was discussing this actually being a new traveller myself I've come into this from a from a protest background and a lot of people I know who live as new travellers have you know we've done a lot of um, the road protest camps for example back in the 90s and a lot of those kinds of protesting has actually led us into living in vehicles and living as new travellers so we do have that thing to bring but yeah I love the way you speak about it as like a symbiotic relationship and I know that a lot of people that feel really inspired and grateful that we've been able to make that coalition. Well I'm going to test the theory because on the 27th of October when the bill comes in when section four will be read in the House of Lords um, Drive to Survive along with the Gypsy Council and Gypsy and Travellers Essex have arranged a gathering at Dow Farms, the 10-year anniversary um, this month. Um, And this is really testing the theory because we invite new travellers to come. We invite you to come. We invite gypsies, Roma travellers, Irish, Scottish, Roma, whatever you are, you just want to come and stand with us and give solidarity because this is still Pretty Patel's constituency. Obviously, because of what's happened this week with Andrew Eves, we won't be going to her... um, we were planning to go to her office, but we won't be out of respect for Andrew Eves. Um, but what we will do is be going to Dow Farm. And um, this is testing the theory because I need to stand in front of my community as a Romani gypsy and with Irish travellers and ethnic Roma and say to them, OK, we know what happened at Dow Farm before, but actually we need to actually reach out again now. That scared everyone. All of this, you know, anarchy kind of scares our old fashioned people, but then our old fashioned people, we're not making enough difference to the politicians. You know, the politicians are not hearing us, haven't heard us for the last 50 years. And if something don't change, nothing's going to change. Thank you so much for chatting with me today, Sherry and Ruby. It's been really great, really great to hear about all your inspiring work that you both do. No, thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Hope it goes well. And if you're interested, we'd love to chat again. Thanks a lot. Yeah, and I'll see you at the next Drive to Survive Valley, no doubt.
Well, like Definitely. I said, we'll be in Dow, we'll be at Dow Farm at twelve o'clock on the twenty seventh of August. Uh, sorry, twenty seventh of October. So, um, if any of you want to join us there, then um, you'll be welcome by all means. Like I said, it, we'd, we'd like as many people there as possible. It's the day that Section Four will be heard in the House of Lords again. Yeah. So, um, you know, where else better to make a protest than Pretty Patel's constituency? Perfect. At Dow Farm. All right. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks again. Then bye bye. Our next episode, coming very soon, is an interview with Phil Wady, author of Restoring the Records, and is all about the 2026 deadline, where any unrecorded paths, footways, bridleways will be extinguished. Thanks for listening. Life in your pocket is a life behind bars. But out here by my fire I can see all the stars. Choose the road, not for me, a life for being born to be sold. The green hills in the distance are calling me home. Not for me, a life for being born to be sold. Under the open sky.